You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Take your Bibles, if you would, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look here at Colossians chapter 1 and uh, continue with a, a thought that we had way back, I think it was in, in June or July. I had the opportunity to speak on a Wednesday night, and we talked a little bit about the book of Colossians. And we're going to kind of pick up in the general vicinity here, but we're going to go back to Colossians chapter 1 and, uh, and continue with a, a similar thought that we had a few months ago. And uh, if you're like me, you've slept since then, so we don't remember all that good stuff. But, um, but we're going to look at a few verses here, uh, very simple thoughts. These are, not, these are not going to be things that are controversial or complicated, but they're going to be very needed thoughts in the life. Maybe not for you, but definitely for me. This has been a convicting message preparing and getting ready for um, because of the emphasis that, that, that Paul places on our Christian walk. And the title tonight is, uh, is A Life That Pleases God. And that in and of itself is, is convicting because I want to live a life. I want to live a life that pleases God, and I want that to be known of me. Somebody asked me a while back, somebody said, uh, and I may have mentioned this before, if I have, forgive me, but somebody mentioned to me a while back, they said, well, what, do you, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to do with your life when you grow up? You know, what do you want to do? This was recently, and I said, um, you know, I, I want, I really don't know how to answer that. I'm, you know, I, I can't say that. What I'm currently doing as, a, as far as an occupation in ministry is something I had really chosen. In fact, I can say it's not anything I would have picked when I was younger. If you had told me when I was 20 years old that I would be doing what I am now, I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, I can't say that I had this specific course in mind of exactly what I was going to end up doing with my life. But I can say this. My goal really is I just want my life to matter. I want what I do and what I invested in, I want it to matter for something. And if, you, if, uh, if you're like me, the, the older you get, the more you begin to realize the importance and the values of things, and, and your value system hopefully begins to change and becomes more focused on God and more focused on eternity. But that really ought to be our goal, is that we live a life that pleases God, that we do something with our life that matters and that is pleasing to God. Now, Colossians chapter 1 is... is uh, uh, the book of Colossians, the theme of the book of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. All right, that Christ is to, be first, is to be first in every facet of our lives. Christ is to be number one. And this is really the message that Paul's trying to get across to these new believers in Colossae that, that are a little confused on what Christ, where Christ is supposed to stack up in their lives and their newfound faith. What are they supposed to do with, this, with these, this teaching of Christ? How does this fit into their routine? And so that's what we're looking at here tonight and, uh, in, in the book of Colossians. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's similar in our day as it was in, in, in the early church days. Sometimes it seems like the world is turned upside down, right? Sometimes it seems like the world has gone crazy. It seems like every day when you turn the news on, something crazier and crazier has happened. Uh, it reminds me of the story. A, a man flew into Chicago and he hired a taxi to take him downtown. And uh, if you've ever been downtown Chicago, I've been down there many times. If you've ever been down there, man, it is a madhouse. And so he hired a taxi to take him downtown, and he was riding along, and they came up to a red light. And the taxi driver just hit the gas and flew right on through the red light. And the passenger said, hey, man, the light was red. You're supposed to stop. The driver said, well, yeah, I know, but my brother does this. He does this all the time. 
Soon they came to a second red light, and again, the driver just hit the gas, flew. I mean, it was as red as Christmas, man. I think it was as bright red, and he just blew right through it. And the pastor said, come on, man, you're going to get us killed. That light was red. Why didn't you stop? And he said, don't worry about it, man. My brother does this all the time. Then they came to a green light, and the driver stopped. And the man said, the light is green. Now's the time to go. Why don't you go through? And the driver said, I know it's green, but you never know when my brother's going to be passing through here. So, you know... it sometimes seems like the world is just totally backwards, and we think of a story like that as completely opposite of what should happen. And although our world is completely backwards right now, and although the things seem to be getting crazier and crazier, Paul says, okay, in a time of craziness, I'm going to tell you how you can live a life that ultimately matters, how you can live a life that pleases God. So you look, we're not going to go through all of the chapter of Colossians 1, but if you look at verses 1 and 2, you see the view of God's grace. Apostle of Jesus Christ, look at verse 1, by the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we see Paul teaching the people of Colossae the importance of giving gratitude. Verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Remember that phrase, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have unto all the saints. And then we see the importance of embracing the gospel in verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is unto all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you learned also of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. All right, so this is the the preface now that we're going to be, this is the prelude here for what we're going to be getting to in our message tonight. So you see Paul dealing with uh, God's grace, and he introduces that and talks about that in in the beginning statements of this letter. And he talks about the importance of gratitude, and he shows gratitude to God for these new converts, for these new Christians. And he's talking to them about the importance of embracing the gospel. Okay? So with all that said, let's get to what we're going to talk about tonight. Verse number 9. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. There's that phrase again. We do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So Paul's talking to a group of people here and he's teaching them how to keep Christ first. He's teaching them that Christ is to be first. Jesus is to be preeminent in every area of your life, in every decision that you make. And this is really the theme of the, of the lesson tonight. This is the overarching theme of the entire book is that Jesus should be in first place in your life. So right away in Colossians 1 verse 9, it's interesting that Paul tells the Colossian believers he's praying for them. The theme of this prayer is what you find in verse 10. Look at that again. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So when you put Jesus first, it means you're living in a way that is fully pleasing unto the Lord. Now Paul is praying that this will happen in their lives. This is what he's praying for. A little boy knelt at his bed and he said his bedtime prayers. He said, Lord, please bless mommy and daddy and auntie and uncle. Lord, give us a good day today. 
and please give me a bicycle for Christmas. So the boy's mother heard him yelling and wondered at his behavior. And she walked in the room and she said, son, son, you don't have to scream. God can hear you. And the boy looked up with big eyes and he said, mama, I know God can hear me, but grandma can't hear very well. She's got the money for the bike. You know, we know that we don't have to scream and yell and holler at God. We know that we have a system set up by God that we can speak to him directly through prayer. We can talk to the almighty God through prayer. We can minister directly to God. And by the way, we can minister to the spiritual well-being of other people through prayer. Now, most of us tonight would say we believe that. We can speak and we can pray for the spiritual well-being of our fellow Christians. Then why don't we do it? We say we believe it. Now, look, I'm not talking to you so much. I'm more talking to me right here. We say we believe that we can speak to the Lord and we can talk directly to the Creator God and we can speak on behalf of fellow Christians who are going through problems and new Christians who are just getting growing in their, in their Christian life and in their faith. And, and yet so often we neglect to pray for one another. In Colossians 1.9, uh, Colossians 1.9 Paul prayed and he prayed specifically for these believers. Now, we're going to get into what Paul prayed for, but think about this. What are some things he did not pray for? Paul did not pray. He did not pray to get out of prison. Now, if it was me, that's the number one thing on the list. All right. God, help me, Jesus. Lord, get me out of here. I need some deliverance. Uh, I'd be singing all kinds of songs and about deliverance and getting out of jail and all that kind of stuff. Paul didn't pray to get out of prison. He did not pray to avoid execution. You don't see Paul praying for financial support. You don't even see Paul praying for his own health. In fact, you don't see Paul praying for the health and even the physical well-being of these new believers. He's not praying for them to be successful in their businesses. He's not praying for their children to be healthy. Now, I'm sure Paul prayed for all those things. I'm sure Paul prayed for those things privately. But in this public letter and in this public prayer, this is not at all what he's addressing. Paul prays specifically for these believers that they would live a life that pleases God. And, you know, this, this ought to be common among us as Christians. This ought to be common. We ought to pray for each other. You say, well, I don't know everybody in the church. Man, I've been here a couple of years. I don't know everybody in the church. It's okay. But if you're like me, you sit in the same spot because we're creatures of habit. Most of us sit in the same general area. And we know who sits around us. And we don't even know their names half the time. But we know, you know, it's, it's brother so-and-so. Like, hey, buckaroo, you know, we, we have nicknames. But look, you know the people who sit around you in church. And these are people that it ought to be common among all of us that if nothing else, that we pray for those around us. We pray for those that sit in our section in church. Think about this. When is the last time you've prayed for someone that you go to church with? Take it a step further. When's the last time you prayed for someone you go to church with, but you didn't know a specific need that they had? You know, we'll go through the prayer bulletin, and we need to. And we'll pray for specific needs, and we ought to. And we ought to take that bulletin, and we ought to pray through it. We ought to pray for those people who are suffering uh, 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 maladies and health issues and problems. We need to pray for them. But, you know, Paul's praying for a group of believers here that he's never met. He's never even laid eyes on them. And he's spending time praying for these new believers. How much more should we as Christians pray for those that we go to church with every Sunday? So what does he pray here? Look at what he says here in verse number nine. I thought this was important here. For this cause, what's the next word? For this cause, what? Oh, come on now. Verse number nine, verse number nine. 
For this cause, let me look at them, um, make sure I'm in the right place. All right, verse number nine. For this cause, what? We also. We also. For this cause, we also. Paul is not, does not start off this, this, this verse here by saying, for this cause, I pray for you. No. No, Paul says we. So who's he talking about? I don't know. But I do know that there were some believers around him. And I do know this, when we pray, and when we pray openly, and we pray, in a, we have a spirit of prayer, and we take time to pray, you know what happens? Other people pray. Prayer is contagious. It is. When you stop, and you, I've been around people before, and, and, and something will go wrong, or we'll hear some bad news about somebody, or something will happen, and some, I've been around some godly people who said, let's pray right now. And they'll just start to pray. Pastor does that all the time. We'll be talking about something, let's pray about that right now. Pastor, I got work to do, man. I don't have time for prayer, you know. No, I don't say that. I, don't, I would never say that, you know. But often we think that. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time to go to God for a need that someone else has. But yet, we think, well, of course, we should pray. And this is what Paul's saying. He said, we also, we also are praying. He says, we, we are praying. In verse number nine, we pray uh, for this call since the day we heard it. Do not cease to pray for you. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. He says, now here's what he starts to pray here. We pray that ye might be filled. He's, when you read through these next few verses, we're going to hit these in just a second. We're going to talk through each one of these points. Here are the four points tonight. He prays that, they, that ye might be filled, that ye might walk worthy, that ye might be strengthened. I mean, he's going through this list. These are the things I want you to be, I want you to be uh, uh, observant of. This is what Paul's praying for the lives of these new Christians. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So look, look at verse 9 again. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. We don't stop. We're praying constantly for you. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. So Paul's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. So in the, in the language of the New Testament, being filled means to be controlled by. All right, we understand. The Bible tells us that we are, in, in the book of Ephesians, we're to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we, does it mean that we don't have the Holy Spirit in us already? No, it doesn't mean we don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible teaches us that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is to be in control and to guide us. And he uses the correlation. He says, don't be controlled by alcohol. Don't be drunk with wine. That's excess. That's debauchery. That's wickedness. Don't be controlled by alcohol. In fact, go all the way to the other side of the spectrum. I want you to be filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. This is how I, I want you to be controlled all, all of your decisions and all of the things you do by the Spirit of God. Now think about this. This is what Paul's pre-praying for these new Christians right off the bat. This is what he's praying for, for them to be filled, to be controlled with the knowledge of God's will. Paul was dealing with a group at that time of false teachers that claimed to have a special mystical knowledge. In, in Paul's day, there were a group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics would teach that they had this really deeper knowledge of, of spiritual things. They had the road to real understanding, and you had to be like them to get this really deep knowledge. And Paul's shot at these guys. He said, I'm praying that you new Christians, you brand new Christians who just got saved, that you are filled with the knowledge of God. You ever been around some of those people? You're not deep enough in the word for them, you know? Well, you know, that's great and everything. 
But the bottom line is, each one of us in this room tonight, whether you got a college education or not, you can be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I've met a bunch of really smart people that wouldn't cross the street to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I know it's God's will that we do that. I've been around some really, really uneducated people who are filled with the knowledge of God's will. They might not be the smartest people in the room, but they walk with God and they know God's will. And this is what Paul's praying here. He said, if you want to keep, if you want to please God, you need to do his will. But if you don't know his will for your life, how can you do it? A deep, growing knowledge of Christ and his will is the greatest importance, is of greatest importance in the spiritual life of all Christians. Years ago, there was a middle-aged farmer. He'd been desiring for years to be a preacher. He wanted to be an evangelist. And uh, he was out working in his field one day, and he decided to take a break and took a rest. And he laid down under a tree, and he was looking up into the sky, and he saw the clouds. And in his mind, he saw those clouds form the letter P and the letter C. And so immediately he hopped up, sold his farm, and he went out to P.C., preach Christ. God's telling him it's what he wants him to do, go out and preach Christ. And the problem was he was horrible. Oh, he's a horrible preacher. Preached way too long, way too boring. Nobody wanted to come listen to him. And finally, after one of his sermons, a, ner- a, a neighbor came forward and whispered in his ear, are you sure God wasn't just trying, trying to tell you to plant corn? Um, you know, sometimes it can be difficult to know God's will. Sometimes it can be difficult to know God's will. Should I take this job? Should I move to this city? Should I marry this person? Should I go to this church? But knowing God's will is not, it's not a shot in the dark. It comes from walking faithfully with Christ from being filled with the Holy Spirit and bringing Him glory, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us into His will. So the first thing that Paul prays for is for them to know God's will. Secondly, look at verse number 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now this is referring right up front to our outward walk to our outward walk as Christians, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. It's not enough to discover God's will. You have to be willing to obey what you discover. And Paul's praying that the Colossian believers would walk with the Lord and please Him in all things. So the word walk here refers to your pattern of daily conduct. Now this is where stuff gets convicting here because now God's telling us, okay, I want you to know my will, but I want you to walk worthy of God. That's not a hard target to reach, right? How many of you can honestly say today, all day long, you have completely, with this entire day, walked worthy of God? If you raise your hand, you're a lion in church, man. (laughs) There's none of us who can say, I have completely walked worthy of God. I can't say that I've done it in the last five minutes, much much less all day long. But yet this is the goal. Paul says, this is my prayer for you. I want you to walk according to God's will. I want you to know His will and walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The thought that we can walk worthy of the Lord as an overwhelming thought. But this is a concept we see all throughout the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So a good question to ask. Do you ever wonder if your Christian walk 
is worthy of the Lord? Is what you're living for worth what Christ died for? So you see, God, you see following God's path for your life leads to the right places. And as we obey God's will in our walk, we can work, walk with him and we can work with him. And the Bible says there at the end of verse number 10, they're being fruitful in every good work. So here's the result. When we walk worthy of the vocation, we're not perfect and God doesn't expect us to be perfect. But when we start, start being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we start doing the will of God, learning what God would have us to do. We may not know the five-year plan, but we know what God's will is for now and what we are to do with our lives now and how we are to serve Him now. And we're doing God's will right now. Then He says, I want you to walk worthy. That means I want you to do the things that you know to do. I want you to be what you're supposed to be. The Bible says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's very true. And sometimes people will quote that to you. You know, you, you people are just... God sees my heart, and that's true. But it is true that that man sees the outward appearance. So we ought to be living right. We ought to be walking right. You know, next week we're going to get into learning how to share the gospel. And we're going to be uh, doing our best to not just teach lessons, but for all of us, uh, I hope you have, uh, even through Missions Conference, been more energized and motivated and inspired to share the gospel uh, to our city and to our our neighbors and friends. And uh, we're going to learn about that. But you know, it's it's really hard to share the gospel when you've been doing the same sin that your buddy's been doing. You know, it's hard to share the gospel when you've been, you know, cussing like your friends have been cussing and stuff, you know. Yeah, I, you, you start getting around people and you start getting close to them. And, and, and the more that we live an outward Christian life, the more that people will say, you're doing something different than I am. The more we're around unbelievers, they ought to be able to say something. There's something different about you. So then when we approach them with the gospel, they understand this is why your life is different. It's hard to give the gospel to somebody you're engaged with the same sin with. Napoleon Bonaparte once found a young soldier asleep at his post and he asked Soldier, what is your name? The soldier said, my name is Napoleon. Bonaparte replied, what did you say your name was? And he said, my name is Napoleon, sir. Then Bonaparte said, my name is Napoleon, and I suggest that you either change your name or start living up to it. As Christians, I wonder how many times the Lord's looked at us saying, I wish you'd live up to your name. I mean, so many times in my life, I know I've been convicted. I've not lived up to the name of, of Christ. As Christians, we're called to live up to God's name. We're called to show evidence of being a part of God's family. We, we should live up to the family name. So he prays to know God's will. He prays that these new believers will follow God's path. And then he prays that they will experience God's power. Look at verse number 11. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Now, I'll be, I'll be honest with you here. I'm not smart enough to really understand what all this means. But I know this is big time stuff here. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. You know, our sun is considered just a moderate star. It's one of billions in our galaxy. And our galaxy itself is one of billions of galaxies. And just our sun consumes some 1,000 million tons of hydrogen every second. Again, that's, that's kind of some science stuff that I can't even comprehend. It is all empowered. How do these stars consume so much energy? Because they're strengthened from God's boundless resources. Strengthened, what that verse there says in verse number 11, our sun is strengthened with all might according to God's power. So we should pray that we should know what it means to experience the power of God in our lives. You know, we ought to to pray. 
we ought to pray to see God move greatly in our church. You know, I, I don't know, I'm not God, but I really think the Lord has something big planned for our church, even greater than what we've already seen. We've seen lives changed, man. We got people in this room, man. Your life has been changed by this church and by the ministry uh, that God has used this church to perform. And that's a wonderful thing. But I like to think that God's got more planned. We ought to pray for that. We ought to pray uh, to watch God transform more families in our community for the sake of the gospel. Paul prayed the same things for these believers. He prayed that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Now, I think we would all agree, Christians today, we're engaged in conflict. The Bible tells us we're not, our, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We know the, battle that our, the battles that our nation is facing are against principalities and powers, right? We know that we're fighting demonic forces and we're fighting satanic oppression. And nothing short of God's divine power can help us and enable us to stand. We're to be strengthened by God and His power. Now, the word strengthened, that's continuous empowerment. Look at that word. That word is present tense. He doesn't say you were strengthened. You was once upon a time strengthened. That's not what he's saying. He said today, right now, present tense, strengthened. I'm praying that you are strengthened now according to God's glorious power. Paul said in verse, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The same root word that is used in Philippians 4.13 is the same thing used right here in Colossians 1.10. Continually strengthening. So we ought to be praying that we don't just get the power of God one time. We ought to be praying daily for the Lord to be continually strengthening us according to His glorious power. But here's a great thought here. We are not, as Christians, we're not just given a portion of God's power. We are given God's power in proportion to His ability. Again, I understand that. But think about that. We're not just given, we're not given a portion of the power of God. Many of us, that's what we think of. God's so big and He's so mighty, He's just going to dab a little bit of His power here and drop a little bit of it there, and, and maybe He'll give that guy a little bit more of it than He gave me, and maybe this lady has a little bit more. We sometimes think that God's just giving out little doses of His power, and that's not the case at all. We're not just given a portion, we're, giving, we're given power in proportion to God's ability. It says that we are empowered. Look at that verse there. Look at, look at verse 10. That you might walk worthy, I'm sorry, verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. Strengthened with all might according to what? His glorious power. No doubt this is why Paul said in Romans 8, If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, if, if, we, if we really understood that God wants us to be strengthened by His power and He wants to give us His glorious might and His glorious power, if we really believe that, we would really believe that passage of Scripture that if God's before us, who can be against us? Many of us, we worry and fret about all the satanic oppression in our nation and all the things going on in our city and all the evil that is corrupting so many areas of our society. And often we step back and we throw our hands up as if we don't have a God on our side as if we don't have a God who wants to give us His power. What does God's power do inside of us? What is the result of this? Look there at verse number 11 again. It gives us all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. When we're walking in God's will, and we're following His plan for our life, and we're trying to follow His path, and we're living a life that is trying, we're trying to walk worthy of what He's called us to do, I'm going to strengthen you with my might. I'm going to strengthen you with my power. And the result of that is that you're going to have all patience 
and long-suffering with joyfulness. Paul's a great testimony and a great example of this. I mean, there's not another Christian, at least not in uh, that, that, many, that any of us would know of, that could follow the path that Paul followed and live the life that he lived and still have joyfulness, still have patience and long-suffering. God can empower you to endure trials and to grow in patience and to do it all with a smile on your face. Have you ever been around these people who are really going through a trial? They're really going through some, maybe some really bad health stuff. Or maybe there's been a tragedy in their family, but they can still put, put a smile on. They still have a heart of joy. You know, I envy people like that. Well, what's the difference? How come some Christians and some believers, they can go through difficult, long-term illness or long trials and still do it with a smile on their face and some turn bitter and get angry at God? What's the difference? One is filled with the power of God and one is not. One has chosen to walk in the power of God and to take on all of his might and someone else has rejected it. And the, the, the truth of the matter is we all know we're all going to face persecution. We're going to face trials and how we handle them and what we do with them is going to be up to us. The result of, of us walking in the Spirit of God is going to lead us to more patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Did anybody ever own one of those watches? Maybe you still have one that, you know, it powers by your movement. Did anybody ever have one of those? I had one for a while. Stupid thing died all the time. Apparently I didn't move enough, you know? And, you know, you got those watches and what? You're supposed, to, you're supposed to move and you're supposed to do all this action and stuff. And I literally, I'm not even going to lie to you, man. I literally bought a little thing to put on your watch and it just spin that watch all, di- all night long. So I get done at night, I put it on there, hit the button, and that thing would spin my watch so it would work. Because, again, apparently I didn't move enough. So this watch, it would work as long as I worked. It would do what it was supposed to do as long as I did my part. And when I often didn't do my part, it didn't do its part. When we obey God and we follow his will, it's like that watch. When you do what God has called you to do, he says, I'm going to place my power within you. If you walk according to my will, if you walk worthy, to what I, so if you do what I want you to do and you're doing it the way I want you to do it, I'm going to strengthen you with more power. But it's contingent on me doing God's will and walking worthy of his, of his calling, accomplishing his will and purpose. And ultimately, it's to lead us to verse 12. And we're going to wrap up with this tonight. So Paul's praying for these new believers to know God's will, to follow God's path, to really experience his power. And then verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. What does Paul pray now in verse 12? He's praying for these new believers to live for God's glory. To live for God's glory. You know, I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father and teacher. But more than anything else, I want people to know that I serve a great God. And I want my life to matter, to matter for God's glory. Paul's praying here, he's praying that they would be giving thanks unto the Father, that they would live for God's glory. Now, if you're like me, you start looking at yourself and start thinking, okay, I know me. I know all my faults. 
I know my failures. I know my sins. I know all the issues and problems I have. I know the things that I'm good at and all the things that I'm not good at. I know the abilities and talents that other people have that I don't have. And often when it comes to living our lives for God's glory, we step back and think, well, there's no way. I can't do that. God can't use me. We, we, we forget or we bypass verses 9 through 11 here, and we, we kind of forget all of that and the whole being strengthened by God's power. And we start looking at ourselves, and we stand in the mirror and say, okay, I can't measure up and be like, like, a, a, like a pastor or, uh, or like this evangelist or like this great man of God or this great woman in our church. I, I can't be like them. But look at verse number 12 again. Giving thanks unto the Father. Okay, so who's he talking about? He's talking about God. Giving thanks unto God, to our Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Made us meet. What does that mean? He's made us sufficient. He's made us uh, he, he's, he's given us power. He's, he's empowered us. He's authorized us. He's made us fit and sufficient to do His will. Now, when you and I got saved, we trusted Christ as our Savior. This is a great story. There's a lot of stuff that transpired that many of us didn't even know happened. We didn't understand. Many of us didn't. Maybe you did. I'm just, you know, kind of learning this stuff. That when I trusted Christ, you know what? I was made, I was authorized. I was empowered by God to do His will and to glorify Him. I was given his power. I was given all the authorization that I needed, and I was made sufficient. Now, when I look at myself, I know me, and so I know that by myself I am not, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been authorized to do his will. I enjoy sports. I enjoy sports. I've coached for a number of years. Man, I love tournaments. I love tournaments. There was, there was a girl that, uh, uh, that my wife and I coached years ago, and she's a coach now, and so she was texting us the last few days. They were at their conference tournament in volleyball, and it's been exciting, and she was texting us. You know, they won this game and this game, and, and they ended up winning the, 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 the conference title and all of that. And tournaments are fun. You know, you win and you stay in. If you lose, you drop to the bottom of the bracket, you know. And thank the Lord for double elimination because, man, if it weren't for that, we had a lot of tournaments real early on. But, you know, if you win, you advance. When you get to March, what's the theme in March for NCAA basketball? Survive in advance. Man, you just got to stay alive. You got to keep winning. Well, in our Christian life, all, often we think, well, it, you know, in, in my Christian walk, I've got, I've got to do all the right things and I've got to make all the right decisions and I can't have any room for failure because if so, I'm no longer fit. I'm no longer sufficient to glorify God. And he says, well, that's not the case. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us already, made us sufficient, made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance then look at verse number, verse number 13. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness. That means he's rescued us from danger. If you know the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, it has a powerful line. It says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. He delivered me. And then look at, the, look at verse 13 again. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness... And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So when we got saved, the Bible says, look, I've qualified you to glorify me and to live for me. I've qualified you for it. I've delivered you from evil to come. Then I've translated you. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What does that mean? That means the word translate means to remove a person, get this, from one country and settling them as colonists or citizens in another country. It can be explained like being reestablished. 
the Bible says, look, in, in, in God's eyes, he's already moved us from this category, from this place, from this location here, all the way over here. And he's translated us into what? Into the kingdom of his dear son. And then the last thought here, verse number 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The word redemption goes all the way back to those early slave markets. It involves the payment of a price to secure freedom. And Paul clearly identified that price, that price of freedom, as the death of Christ. You know, we spend all time, all sorts of money and time and, and energy to bring glory to a lot of different things. You know, when, when we were down south, you know, my wife and I, we'd go to a lot of LSU games. We would go to football games and all of that. And I'm a, I love the Tigers. I'm a big fan. But the more you think about all that and process and everything that goes into it, the more you see how that entire event, all these sporting events, NFL, college football, NBA, all of those events are directed at bringing glory to the players. You know, now, and even in college now, you have uh, these NFL deals where you can buy the jerseys of the players with their name and their number and and these kids get a kickback from it. And I, I read a column from a coach not long ago talking about how with the current state of college football, if you follow any of this, he's talking about the importance of re-recruiting your players. People that are on your team, you have to re-recruit them because now they have the option of going to another school. And so that even more so puts more and more emphasis on those players and they're even lifted up more and more. And, you know, you have these big TV screens in the stadiums with their pictures on it and all of those things. And, and I'm not knocking sports. I love those, those sorts of things. But the truth of the matter is we know, and that's just one facet of society. I mean, you, we haven't even got to Hollywood and all that stuff and all the other areas of our culture. But we know how to give glory to people. This is just the bottom line. We know how to lift people up and give glory to people. But how do we give glory to God? We're going to learn more about that next week. One of the ways, one of the ways we give glory to God is by telling others about Jesus Christ, is about giving the gospel. We have so much to be thankful for. Paul talks about it in Colossians. We have so many things to be thankful for. We have so many reasons to live for the glory of God. So the point is this, whether it's our family life, whether it's our work life, whether it's our church life, you know, I'm not against this, but it's not enough just to wear a Christian t-shirt. It's not enough just to listen to K-Love or Rejoice Radio or whatever. That's just not enough. This was Paul's prayer to these new Colossian believers, that they would know God's will, that they would follow God's path, that they would experience God's power, and that they would live for God's glory. Last thought, and we'll be done tonight. Think about this. I wonder, in our Christian life, what new believers have fallen away because we didn't pray for them? You know, I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, we live to glorify God. And one of the ways we glorify God is to fulfill the last greatest commandment, to spread the gospel. How many people have come into our presence? How many new Christians have have shown up maybe in our church or or come into our lives and, and we've not taken two minutes to even pray for them? Paul wrote a whole stinking book here. He wrote a whole letter talking about the importance of praying and supporting and encouraging these new believers you know, if we're going to have a, a church that ministers to our community, you know what's going to have to happen? People are going to have to get saved. People are going to have to come to Christ. And you know what happens when people get saved? They don't fit into the church culture mode. 
They don't look like us and they don't act like us and they don't respond like us. And, and when we look around and, and we see our church and we say, you could be like, like some people say, well, our church is looking very worldly. And as, an, as a very older conservative pastor once said, your church ought to look a little worldly because that means you're winning people with the, with the gospel of Christ. So how many believers have walked away because you and I didn't pray for them, because we didn't befriend them? Because we didn't encourage them. Man, you're here on a Wednesday night, so I know these are the good Christians here, right? You're here in the midweek service. You love the Lord. Kids made you bring them to a wana, but either way, you're here. Now, we're here on a Wednesday night because we love the Lord. So let's love the Lord enough to embrace new believers, to embrace young Christians, to be like Paul, to pray for them to know God's will, to help guide them into following God's plan for their lives. Let's walk them through those doors of the Christian faith and help them understand what they inherited and understand what they've gained and help them to grow in the strength of Jesus Christ so that they can also live for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our time tonight. We thank you for our faithful church here this evening on a Wednesday night. Lord, I pray that you would bless each family here tonight. Be with those who are away from us tonight, who are out of town. and Lord, so many who are sick tonight. I pray that you would give them, uh, give them your comfort and your blessing and your help. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would take the admonition from the book of Colossians to pray for one another, to help us, Lord, to be reminded, Holy Spirit, convict us of our need to spend time on behalf of other Christians, people we go to church with, new believers that come into our church. Lord, help it not be said that we just sit and stare, but Lord, no, we stop and pray. And we go to the Heavenly Father on their behalf. And I pray, Lord, that we would take the example of Paul and make that a part of our lives. So ultimately, we can live a life that is glorifying to you. Lord, again, I pray that you be a pastor while he's away. Bring him back safely. And we'll thank you, Lord, for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.